0: remote communities. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: The investment trend for the last three to five years. The
2: Department of Financial Services is known to be very tough.
1: And traders trading all sorts of things. Volatility
2: in the foreign exchange market. Money for nothing.
3: Good morning and welcome to Thursday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra well, it's Fed day again and still no rate hike. We digest the impact of this with our market commentator, Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Wealth Management. But let's not forget that despite the Fed's dovish statement, investors in stocks and bonds are still nervous about a rate hike later this year. So today on Money for Nothing, we'll look at an alternative asset class, diamonds. Joining us uh, in the studio are Jay Javeri and Ajit Vaswani from Hatton Diamonds. And of course, it's Thursday, which means our regular guest host, Peter Lewis, is uh, back with us. Good morning, Peter.
4: Good morning, Renita.
3: So, Peter, the Fed has left interest rates on hold. So why is it that the markets are down?
4: Well, no surprise that they've left left rates on hold. Um, What's important is the statement. And the statement was actually rather more hawkish than people expected. They took out the line saying that it was um, unlikely that they would raise rates in April. And they also said the GDP weakness was uh, transitory.
3: Okay, well, the U.S. economy grew at just 0.2% in the first quarter, uh, well below economists' expectations of 1%. Growth was hit by a combination of bad winter weather and a strong dollar, which took a toll on exports. Export fell uh, 7.2% during the quarter compared to an increase of 4.5% the previous quarter. And the economy grew at 2.2% in the previous quarter. Some analysts are starting to have doubts about the U.S. The U.S. economic recovery. Here's one of them, former Goldman Sachs Asset Management Chairman Jim O'Neill.
4: The, the, the case for the U.S. was based around a weak dollar, bringing back manufacturing and oil prices leading to this remarkable new supply of oil. Yeah. What's happened the past year in markets are basically pulling away those two benefits. The U.S. consumer is already 70% of GDP, why is it a sustainable story anyhow? Didn't we get into this mess because the U.S. consumer was too unbalanced and had too little savings and was depending on savings from the rest of the world? Maybe the U.S. consumers figured out, I don't want to overleverage myself that much any further.
3: Peter, you've been warning us about this for a while now, haven't you? You know that the, uh, the economic data was indicating a sharp slowdown in growth. But still, 0.2%, I mean, was that a surprise even for you?
4: well there's been a lot of warnings um if we look at you know the manufacturing data the retail sales nearly every piece of economic data that's come out in the last sort of couple of months has missed expectations maybe with the expect uh, with the exception of jobs and actually this could have been far far worse because if you look into the numbers There was a $120 billion inventory build, which is the biggest in history in the US. And if you took that out, GDP would have been down 2.6%. Now, the problem with inventory builds is that you can't rely on them forever because ultimately that inventory that's built up has to be sold off and you can't just keep growing GDP by building inventories. So there are some warning signs there that things are not looking so good um, going forward.
3: So uh, despite sort of what we're seeing with earnings and things, you're not bullish?
4: I think the US economy is slowing down more than people um, are expecting. I don't buy into this is all just bad weather. I mean, this is the largest, <laughs> e- con- uh, the largest economy in the world. It can surely survive a little bit of snow and, and, uh, and cold weather. There are um, some fundamental weaknesses and you're seeing that in earnings. Earnings are slowing down as well.
3: Okay, soothsayer Peter, I'll be curious to hear what Puru has to say. Uh, <laughs> In the meantime, though, uh, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, the FOMC, has left U.S. rates on hold at an all-time low of 0 to 0.25 percent. And whilst acknowledging the slowdown in the first quarter GDP in its statement, it described the effects as transitory and expects a rebound in U.S. economic activity in the second quarter. The Fed said that the risks to the outlook were balanced, leaving it open to a rate increase at any time from now. J.P. Morgan Asset Management's Meg McClellan is not so sure, however, about a rebound. The
0: weakness could not be explained by just weather and the West Coast port strikes alone. We, the weakness we saw in business investment, some of that is due to low oil prices. That affects coming through in the U.S. economy as a big negative. We've yet to see that big boost in growth associated with low oil prices, which is stronger consumer spending. Consumer spending came in close to our expectations. It actually held up fairly well in the first quarter, but fairly well is not what it was doing nor what we would
3: expect given the decline in oil prices. Yeah, you and uh, Meg, Peter, colluding on the, the, the point about the <laughs> weather. Okay, so what is it uh, going to take to persuade consumers, in that case, to open their wallets and spend this quarter? Here's uh, Mesero's uh, financial chief market economist, Diane Swank.
0: So we've really just seen a continuous pickup in terms of wage growth. And this is ultimately what's going to make those consumers with a little extra gas money in their pocket, their wages going up, feel better about spending. And ultimately that will pass through, I think, to some higher inflation, maybe 2016, based on what the Fed's saying.
3: U.S. stocks and the dollar both fell in response to the latest GDP data. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 0.4% to 18,035. The S&P 500 closed seven points lower at 2,106, while the Nasdaq closed at 5,023, a fall of 31 points. The U.S. dollar fell 1.5% against the euro before paring some of its losses after the Fed said that weakness in growth was transitory. It closed at... $1.11. At $1.11. And Brent crude oil rose to a 2015 high of $65.84 a barrel. Tony Crescenzi is an executive vice president at PIMCO, and he sees the possibility for further market nervousness. Every meeting remains live for a possible rate hike. Uh, June is very low odds, but still possible. is what the Fed tried to make clear. It's still very data dependent. July is possible if enough data are strong enough. But September remains the most likely month yeah. where the Fed will feel satisfied about the outlook staying intact as it sees it today. We expect when the Fed does hike, if if it does this year, we expect that it will, to move slowly, which is another way of saying about a quarter point Every other meeting, and there are eight Fed meetings a year, so about a point up per year. Still low rates. That's the key message the Fed wants to convey. Stay focused on the entirety of the the move in rates and not the initial hike, which could be somewhat uh, stressful in markets for a short time. European markets reacted negatively to the strengthening euro, which threatens to put a brake on improving economic conditions in the eurozone. Germany's DAX index fell 3.2 percent, and in France, the CAC 40 uh, closed down 2.6 percent. U.S. retailer Walmart has revealed plans to open 115 new stores over the next three years. The company has been in China for 19 years and operates across 165 cities. Walmart also has a 51% stake in a Chinese online retailer called Yehoudian, which it plans to integrate into its existing operations. And the expansion plans will increase its presence in China by more than a quarter. Peter, these are big extension plans for Walmart. Is China where U.S. corporations should now be looking for growth?
4: Oh, absolutely, Juanita. I mean, if you look at Apple, for example, the contribution that China made to its earnings this quarter was enormous. And China has been in, as Apple's been in, China for far less time than uh, than Walmart. So China's an economy that's trying to move away from investment to consumption. And it's just started that process. Whereas um, in the US, uh, consumption, retail spending is 70% of GDP. So there's far more potential for US corporations in China than there is in the US in order to grow their customer base and boost their revenues.
3: So what does this do to, you know, President Obama's whole idea of, well, let's uh, have manufacturing here, let's uh, employ people here, let's create jobs back at home?
4: I I think that's an impossible dream. I mean, you know, everyone would like the idea of, um, you know, just operating in their local markets. But, you know, companies are are global these days. It's a global marketplace. We're all uh, connected through the technology. You can sell your goods and services anywhere in the world. You can uh, secure parts from anywhere in the world. And labor is you know, much more um, much more portable these days. So I don't think you can um, just have a, a company that's going to focus on hiring in the U.S. when there's so many um, so many possibilities elsewhere in the world.
3: Mm. Well, shares in uh, Hong Kong financial services firm Quam jumped 70% after confirmation that the company is to be bought out by China's Minsheng Bank. They'll uh, buy up to 13.3 billion new Quam shares, representing about 90% of Quam's enlarged share capital. In the local currency markets, the Chinese yuan has strengthened to a four-month high against the U.S. dollar. Investors are speculating that the U.S. rate rises will not occur before September and may be not at all in 2015. Meanwhile, the Hong Kong dollar continues to trade at the upper level of its peg against the U.S. dollar at 7.75. And capital continues to flow into Hong Kong for investment in the local equities market. All right, uh, let's bring in Puru Saxena, who joins us now to take a closer look at the markets. Good morning, Puru.
1: Good morning, Renita.
3: Welcome back to Money for Nothing. My pleasure. Uh, So, Puru, what is your take on the reason for the weak U.S. GDP?
1: Well there's a couple of factors. One is this slump in the price of oil. Oil went down from about 100 to almost 45-50 dollars a barrel and that has hurt the earnings in the energy sector and all the other industries which are peripheral around the energy sector. So they've been really feeling the Pain from this plunge in the price of oil. And secondly, the U.S. dollar has rallied a lot in the last year or so, and a lot of these companies in America are multinationals, and they derive a significant portion of their revenue from overseas. So corporate earnings are being hit by the strong dollar, and also I think the U.S. economy is going through a bit of a sluggish patch, uh, which is like a mid-cycle slowdown in my view.
4: So Peru, last, last year everyone was talking about the declining oil prices being a, a big boost for, um, for U.S. consumers. It was like a tax cut and this was going to help boost um, the, the US economy. What's gone wrong? That doesn't seem to have come through, does it, in these numbers?
1: Well, not in these numbers, but you have to bear in mind that the US consumer has been deleveraging, they've only just started uh, leveraging up again. You know, for five or six years after the great crash in 2008, American consumers deleveraged uh, and only recently has the the deleveraging ended. So consumer credit in America is now expanding again and I believe that these lower oil prices are going to filter through to the real economy and people will open up their wallet.
3: So Puru, I mean, you know, analysts are saying that this is not necessarily a long lived thing, although no one is expecting oil prices to jump back to the 100 A dollar range, certainly anytime soon. Uh, What do you feel that this says about the U.S. uh, economic growth going forth? And do you
1: agree with Peter? Well, my view is that the U.S. economy will muddle through. I will be extremely, extremely surprised if the Fed raises interest rates this year. People are expecting that the Fed will raise rates maybe in June, September. I think it's wishful thinking because the economy, as Peter alludes, is basically weaker than most people expect. Although the unemployment uh, data or unemployment rate has come down significantly, the economy, in my view, just doesn't have it in it to... uh, which stand interest rate hikes. Now, if you ask me what the Fed should do, I think the Fed should raise interest rates because if they leave rates unchanged until the end of the year or early next year, then you're going to have a bigger crisis in the markets down the road. This is what happened in the last crash. The Fed kept interest rates at zero until 2003, 2004, well after the recession had ended and we had a colossal asset bubble and bust. So I think what the Fed should do and what the Fed will do will be two different things.
4: So has the Fed missed the boat? I mean, it had a good opportunity last year didn't it to raise rates when the economy was going quite well and it's now found itself in the position where it's going to have to raise rates if it does in um, a a market where the economy is weakening corporate profits are going down Has, has it boxed itself into a corner now
1: well, I think people are just uh, too worried these days. You know, everybody is now worried about a 10% correction if the Fed rates, raises rates this time in the next near future. But what happens in two years' time, Peter? You know, if they don't raise rates now, the markets go higher and higher and higher. And when the rate hike comes, then the plunge will be that much more devastating. So, you know, it's a question of when do you take the pain? And I think the time to take the pain is now.
3: So, Puru, what does this mean uh, for investors who were uh, interested in investing in U.S. equities?
1: Well, our view is that the American stock market will continue to head higher until late into the monetary tightening cycle. If you look at history, stock bull markets end after a period of rate hikes, not just one or two, but after in the latter end stages of the monetary tightening cycle. And I think the Fed will start raising rates maybe in six, seven months from now, maybe even later. And the interest rates are going to go up in baby steps, quarter percent, quarter percent. So you're looking probably two, two and a half years before the next real bear market in U.S. equities comes along. And I think until then, the stock markets of the developed world uh, will continue to do well. Mm, So keep going. So – Uh, Puru, let's look at another market that also appears to
3: be uh, slowing rapidly. Of course, that's China. Are the U.S. and the Chinese economies joined at the hip and dependent on each other? Or is the Chinese economy so different that it can go its own way and not be affected by this U.S. slowdown?
1: Well, everybody is affected by the Americans, you know. uh 70% of consumption or GDP rather in the U.S. is consumption and the U.S. is the world's largest economy. So if the U.S. economy slows down, then obviously everybody feels the heat. Now, I agree with you that the Chinese economy doesn't look very good right now, but, you know, the question is do you trade the economy or do you trade the stock market? You know, we invest in the stock market and the economy is weak and in anticipation of monetary easing, uh, the market is discounting rate cuts and uh, minimum, uh, the slash in the minimum reserve requirements and that's why we've had this huge rally in Shanghai.
4: But if you look at the uh, the Chinese stock markets, we're seeing quite a big divergence now between Chinese corporate earnings and the performance of the Shanghai Composite Index. In fact, that divergence is now greater than any other major market in the world, even the US where we've seen that divergence for a while. So. Does something have to give at one point? Does either corporate earnings have to um, sort of increase or is the Shanghai Composite Index going to decline? Can they really go on like this, diverging?
1: Well, before I answer this question, Peter, I'd like to just point out that in 2005 and 2007, between that period, the Shanghai Composite went from 900 to 6,100, straight up. There were maybe three or four corrections of 10%, 12% along the way, but the Shanghai Composite went up 500% in less than two years, and then it plunged by about 70 or 80%. If you go back further, we've seen similar asset booms and busts in China. That's just the nature of the beast. You know, the Chinese are gamblers. They don't have a choice. They've got property or stocks. The property market is slowing down in China. The government has climbed down on Macau. So where do you go? You know, you, you invest in the stock market. So although the fundamentals may not actually... Uh, agree with you right now, but, you know, the market sentiment and the craziness of the mob can do funny things in the markets, and I don't think this is over yet. We've just had the second leg up in this bull market after seven, uh, seven years of a bear market. Last time around, we had four up legs, and we had a 500% gain, so we've only gone up about 110, percent so far.
3: All right, Puru, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure. That's Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Wealth Management, a regular contributor on Money for Nothing. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. Australia's ASX index is down one-tenth of a percent right now to 5,811 and Seoul's Kospi is also down 3 of a percent to 2,135. In currencies, one euro is currently worth 1.11 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen exactly and one pound sterling will buy you 11 hong kong dollars and 95 cents and one u.s dollar and 54 cents
5: according to the employment amendment ordinance 2014 eligible male employees with a child born on or after february 27th 2015 can take a total of three days paid paternity leave after giving the required notification to their employers Paternity leave may be taken at any time during the period, from four weeks before the expected date of delivery of the baby to ten weeks after the actual date of birth. Please call 2717-1771 for inquiries.
0: Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate to tease me.
3: This morning... It's all about being stimulated and teased, not just by Shirley Bassey, but by the luster of the diamond. So joining us now are Hatton Diamonds co-CEOs Jay Javeri and Ajit Vaswani, who seem convinced that when it comes to this particular precious stone, the best friend factor extends from girls to all investors. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning, Anita. And welcome to Money for Nothing. So um, you both have a very long history in diamonds and trading. Uh, since the 1850s or thereabouts?
5: Well, to be accurate, it's jewelry. Um, Jewelry. It all started with pearls and natural pearls um, uh, in a a small town 250 kilometers north of Bombay called Surat, which interestingly is one of the world's uh, biggest uh, diamond polishing and cutting centers even today.
3: So why the why turn away from this traditional model uh, then to this online platform?
5: Well, uh, you know times do change, and um, uh, for for me, um, but particularly, I did not. I chose not to. Uh, I chose to stay away from the family business. Um, uh, my father went into the diamond trade actually in 1970, and he became a De Beers site holder uh, soon thereafter. Um, me being the uh, uh, black sheep of the family, uh, went into IT and, uh, uh, you know, did e-commerce later on. And I thought that this was a great way to marry um, family tradition and um, uh, modern technology.
2: And
3: what about you, Ajit?
2: I, um, I normally come from a distribution background, so um, we're from Africa. Uh, we do distribution of branded goods, uh, you know, Panasonic, Coca-Cola, that sort of thing. Um, I moved uh, to, we're both uh, alumni of the London Business School, and uh, I moved here about two and a half years ago and met Jay, and you know, we have this passion for diamonds, and uh, we just start, started talking about it and, how, how, you know, how do we bring this to the customer?
3: Yeah, can't go wrong with diamonds. But uh, the question is, is the online format really ideal for something like a diamond? I mean, you know, how do you gauge things like cut, color, clarity, the the four C's?
5: Well, that's why we only deal in GI certified diamonds and that to a very carefully curated selection of GI certified diamonds. We only go for the top colors and the top qualities um, uh, so that we just bring a lot of simplicity to the process um and it is uh, diamonds have been sold online since to the year 2000 now so it's nothing new, and um, both in the West and, of course, more recently in China as well. So um, it's, 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 not, it's not a, uh, a, a completely unknown uh, channel of distribution.
4: So you say that diamonds can now be invested in. They can almost become like a, an, an asset class. What what do you look for to, in order to decide whether or not a, a, a diamond is of investment grade?
5: Well, let me tell you a little bit about uh, what defines an investment grade diamonds. We are t- typically looking at the top colours um, – according to the GIA scale, which is from D to H, and um, the uh, top qualities from internally flawless to uh, very small inclusion uh, grade 2, VS2, um, which is uh, not not even visible to the naked eye. Um, And you're looking at diamonds which weigh uh, one carat and above, um, and if you look at the performance over the last 10, eleven years from say from two thousand and three, I think, um, they have uh, um, re- re- uh, yielded a return of between thirty to one hundred and fifty percent over this period, depending on the size of the diamond. Uh, one other thing, it, uh, it's important to note that there are a lot
2: less than other investments, such as gold and stocks, because of uh, unequal demand and supply. There's very little supply coming out of uh, diamond mines these days, but demand from markets like China and India are still quite strong.
4: And, and is this something that you could persuade investors to do on, online? I imagine that normally people want to go and actually see the diamond, and you know, and, and you know, have a good look at it. How how do you persuade people? Oh, to start, we let them as as see something? the
5: diamond and have. A- a good look at it um in fact uh, what happens is that when they buy from us they typically how they could uh, you know either they can make an advance payment or they put down a, a small deposit and we invite them in uh, uh, to take a look and if they're satisfied that's great if not we refund their money so it's a combination of uh, um uh, what's 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 known nowadays as o2o online to offline um, that's that's basically our model. Uh, so
3: when it comes to investing in diamonds, I mean, what is the ideal investor strategy? How long do you hold this for? What do you do with it? You keep it in the locker?
5: Uh, you would want to hold it for three to five years. Um, and, yeah, you, you can – well, you see, the thing is, unlike other investments, you can't exactly wear share certificates or bars of gold, but you can wear diamonds. So that's an added bonus.
4: Mm-hmm. you could maybe create something like an ETF around it. I mean, we have ETFs on gold and, you know, and other commodities. Uh, it's fancy, you know. I mean,
3: <laughs> are there precious stones, ETFs?
5: Um, not that I know of. I know that they've tried to do diamond ETFs. Um, but as I said, you know, really, let's make life simple, um, you know, just – have your own portfolio of diamonds for god's sake you can make necklaces or rings out of them and wear them you know why why um, why put them in the vault
3: so, to the grocery store is what you're
5: saying. Yes, absolutely. Uh,
2: well, you know, uh, let's look at it this way you have two options. You can either wear a share certificate or you can wear diamonds. What do you pick?
4: Okay. <laughs> Saves a lot you know, what of time. Do Wait, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. If I could give my partner a share certificate in them instead, it would save me a lot of troopsing around the store trying to find the diamonds. <laughs> That's why we make life simple
5: for you. That's why you come to Hattons.co um, online when it to launch on May 23rd. And you'll see that our site is laid out like a high-end luxury magazine. So it makes for a very enjoyable and luxurious shopping experience. Um, we provide a lot of information on uh, diamonds. In fact, we probably will be the most uh, comprehensive knowledge base on the Internet uh, for, for diamonds and laid out in a very accessible manner.
3: Ajit, uh, you've got something on your, uh, uh, you know, in your business model which you describe as an upgrade program. Can you tell us what that is?
2: Uh, the upgrade program, actually, it's uh, something that's in the works. We, you know, we're going through focus groups at the moment, um, and we're waiting for the results. But uh, um, as long as you know, people are happy with it, you know, we'd be very happy to provide it for them.
3: And that is something that could be provided a- at any time?
5: Yeah. Typically, for any,
3: for any t- kind of diamond?
5: Yeah. Typically, what happens is that because you need to move, um, you know, if you want to realize the benefits of an upgrade program, you, let, you need to let diamond prices move a little bit. Um, so you know we there are, there are there are um, people who offer lifetime upgrade of programs and I guess ours is not going to be any different from theirs.
3: Sounds like a pretty good deal mm. to me. What do you think, Sounds Peter? Sounds like
4: a good idea. Shopping That's for diamonds. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. very good idea.
3: All right, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, in the studio this morning that is uh, Ajit Vaswani and Jay Javeri. Thank you. Renita. Thank you. Who are the co-founders of Hatton Diamonds? Good luck with it. All right. Well, uh, here we are at the end of a short week due to the bank holiday. Let's take a quick look at the numbers before we close up the show. Uh, the Nikkei is open uh, today and it is down one and a half percent to nineteen thousand seven hundred and fifty-seven. Australia's ASX index is down one percent to five thousand seven hundred and fifty-eight, and Seoul's Kospi uh, down three of a percent to two thousand one hundred and thirty-four. Well, Peter, uh, with a long weekend coming up, uh, you know, we're all going to be sort of taking it easy here. But are there things going on in other parts of the world that uh, will affect the markets by the time we reopen Monday?
4: Absolutely. People are going to be looking at every piece of data now out of the U.S. to see if this uh, weakness in GDP is going to continue. And it will start tomorrow with U.S. manufacturing data. We've also got China manufacturing data tomorrow and then the U.S. jobs report next week. So crucial information coming out of the U.S. in particular.
3: Well, thank you, Peter, uh, to our regular Thursday morning guest host, Peter Lewis, founder of Peter Lewis Consulting. And Peter will be back on Monday morning hosting the show for that day. So
4: uh, looking forward to it.
3: Have fun with that. I'll be looking forward to listening. And I'm Renita Malhotra Hora, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. And a big thank you to uh, Sandra Lam, our producer. The weather forecast for today will be mainly cloudy with a few sunny periods and also one or two showers. The temperature right now is 25 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 85 percent. Time for the half hour news with Sam Butler.
0: In an historic speech to a joint session of the U.S. Congress, the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has expressed his condolences for Americans who died in the Second World War. But Mr. Abe stopped short of delivering a direct apology to the so-called comfort women who were taken from South Korea and other countries and forced to work in military brothels. Instead, Mr. Abe expressed feelings of deep remorse over the war.
4: Our actions brought suffering to the people's
2: in Asian countries. We must not avert our eyes from that.
0: French prosecutors are investigating alleged child sexual abuse by French soldiers serving in the Central African Republic. The Defence Ministry said it would be demanding the harshest possible sentences against any soldiers found guilty. The original allegations were contained in an internal UN report, which hasn't been published, but has been seen by Paula Donovan, who's co-director of the NGO AIDS Free World. This is actually a series of six interviews with young boys ranging in age from 8 to 15, all recounting cases where they were in desperate need of food and they approached soldiers asking whether or not they